the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have an enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afwakwa. Pastor Afwakwa is the founder and general overseer of Embassy of Life Chapel, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Come with me to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 15. Okay, let's read it together. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. Why don't you personalize it? One go. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to me, teaching me that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, I should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed and glorious appearing of our great God and Jesus Christ, who gave himself for me every lawless deed and purified for himself his own special person, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. That one is really not for you. It was given to the man to whom it was addressed. Amen. You see that when you personalize scripture, it speaks differently. Yeah, it speaks differently altogether. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to me, teaching me that denying ungodliness, that I should live what? And where did last? I should live soberly. How does God expect you to live 2023? He is expecting that having embraced the grace that brings salvation, you will deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Are you with me here? And then you should also deny worldliness. And then you should also live a righteous life, live soberly, live godly in this present age. And as you look forward to the coming of the Lord. Amen. It's a very beautiful scripture. Okay, so last week we began looking at the subject of saved by grace. This was actually a series I began last year, some part of last year. I did about two of them. And uh, we've had to come back looking at it in detail because we cannot discuss the subject of grace without looking at salvation. So last week we said salvation is the first thing and the most important thing the grace of God brings. Say salvation, salvation. is the first and most important thing that the grace of God brings. All right, so you need to understand that if the foundation is destroyed, we are discussing on Sunday that the righteous can do nothing. And if you don't get the foundation of salvation right, every other thing will be wrong in your life as a Christian. There are people who are struggling to gain acceptance with God because they don't get the fundamental concept of salvation right. There are people who think that once they fall into sin, their relationship with God is over because they don't understand the concept of salvation. There are even people who think that when they fall into one challenge or the other, they have lost their salvation. They simply can't get it right. So you have to understand salvation. And it's my greatest joy as a pastor to teach you this very thing. Because of all the things I can teach you, I don't believe that there is any that is greater in value. Greater in value now and greater in value in eternity. As far as your life in Christ is concerned, salvation is number one. Everything that God has done, everything God will do, everything that Christ accomplished, can only be assessed when a sound understanding, a biblical understanding, a revelatory understanding of salvation is established. So that is very key. He said, for the grace of God that brings salvation. I told you that when grace is here, grace comes with many things. But the foremost of them is salvation. And if you miss it, you miss it all. Because according to scripture, what shall a man give in exchange for his life? And what shall a man gain if he gains the whole world? 
and loses his soul. So when you lose your soul, that is the greatest loss. The greatest loss a man can suffer is not the loss of his house, it's not the loss of his vehicle, it's not the loss of his wife, it's not the loss of his children. The greatest loss a man can suffer is the loss of his soul because that is an eternal loss. And you need to get that. Now, once your soul is rescued, you also need to understand what follows thereafter. Because salvation is not the end. Salvation is a means to an end. Are you with me here? Uh -huh. So, you have to understand salvation to move on from there. In the book of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, thereabout, I think King James, he says, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need again that one teach you of the things which be the first principles of the oracles of God. You have need that one teach you the same things. Then you have become babes and not mature. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful at the word of righteousness. For he said, Bay, he's a bay. You have to master the word of righteousness. And you can't master the word of righteousness without understanding salvation. You are righteous, and the basis of your righteousness is because you are saved. It's because of what Christ has done. That's why you are righteous. And if you can get the subject of righteousness right, and it's one of the things we'll be dealing with this year, the subject of righteousness right, your faith will work, Satan will have no place in your life, and you will be in command like God has ordained you to be. You know, grace was giving you to reign in life. Somebody say, grace is giving me to reign in life. Grace is giving me to reign in life. You see, you better get that understanding very well and start reigning in life. There are Christians who think that they are going to reign with Christ in eternity. No, that's not your place. This is your place. Praise God. Over there, there's only one king who is the king of kings and the lord of lords. This is our place. Scripture says that the heavens and the heavens of the Lord are the Lord's, but the earth has he given to the sons of men to dominate. So this is our realm. This is where we take charge. This is where we take dominion. This is where we exercise all the rights and privileges we have in Christ. Satan will not be in heaven for you to rule and dominate over him. This is a place you need to take authority over him, and you can only do that when you have understood the subject of grace as it relates to salvation. He said, for everyone that uses milk is as as the word of our righteousness, for he is a babe. When you study God's word, there is a milk part of the word, and there is a strong meat part of the word. And most of the time, when our understanding is limited, when we are not able to appreciate the weightier matters of scripture, our growth is stunted. There are many people who have been in Christ for a long time, but they are not spiritually mature. The fact that you have been a Christian for years does not mean you are spiritually mature. The fact that you are even a leader does not mean you are spiritually mature. In all probability, you should be to some degree, but sometimes people find themselves in leadership without necessarily being so mature. And so you have to, have to, have to, have to, have to school yourself into maturity. The Bible said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Spiritual growth is not accidental. Spiritual growth is intentional. You can only grow spiritually when you make a decision, deliberate, conscious decision that I'm going to grow. All of us, we seek to grow our finances, we seek to grow in our relationship, we seek to grow in our stature, but are we growing spiritually? That will not happen accidentally. Every day, every year, you will celebrate your birthday, 30th, 20th, 20-something, 30-something, 40-something, all of those, you keep on celebrating them. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you are growing in wisdom. Are you with me here? That's why you can meet a 50-year-old man who thinks and acts like somebody who is under 20. Because that you are growing physically and counting the days does not mean that it's translating into mental maturity. Emotional stability doesn't translate to that automatically. And that's why I want you to take these teachings I'm doing very seriously. Because our church is in this foundational state. And I'll keep on saying that because God took us through a process and we are going through that process again. So we are in the foundational stages. And if you don't get these foundations right, you will go into the years ahead of us and you will still be struggling. And we want everybody to be fully on board. Are you here? Okay, so we are looking at saved by grace. Somebody say, I'm saved by grace. Say, I'm saved by grace. 
And we have established that salvation is the greatest gift of God to mankind. You remember, we said that if we neglect so great salvation, that was what Hebrews told us, Hebrews 2 verse 1. When we neglect salvation, which is God's greatest gift to us, we will be found wanting. We said better things accompany salvation. And we said that when a person is born again or is saved, fundamentally he is delivered from the dominion of Satan, delivered from the nature of sin, and is delivered from eternal domination. Somebody say, I'm delivered from eternal domination. Say, eternal life is in me. I'm not waiting to get eternal life. I have eternal life now. Say, the life of God is in me. I possess divinity in my humanity. That's why sickness and disease cannot overpower this body. The life of God is in me. I manifest his life practically in all matters. All right, let's quickly look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. It's very interesting. Apostle Paul was a very logic, logical preacher. <laughs> I think his background as a lawyer affected the way his line of reasoning and his thought pattern because the way he presented matters, sometimes he asked a question and then he would take time to answer the question. It's very beautiful if you read his letters. Very, very interesting. He said, for this reason, I... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. Now this is for which reason? For the things he's spoken about. He spoke about them which we will get back to. But we don't have time today, so we'll just move on. For this reason, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a letter written as a secular letter. I told you, remember? How many of you remember what a secular letter is? You know a secular? <laughs> Those of you are at a professional level, you know what a secular is. A secular is a secular. That's what it is. <laughs> Now, so a secular letter is a letter that is uh, intended for several people. But the Ephesians seized it and probably felt that they should just take hold of it. So it became the book of Ephesians. But it's actually a letter that was written to almost scholars believe that it was written to all the seven churches. Because the churches which were in Asia, it was addressed to all of them. Now, Paul says that when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in other words, when I heard that you are born again, you are saved. It became necessary that I write to you. And then he says, the reason why I'm writing to you is because there is something that now that you are born again, you need. And let's look at it. He said, for this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What did Apostle Paul pray for? And when, I think last year we did a series on what to pray for, and we will come back to it, because you see, it's good to pray for some material things, but there are things that are of greater value. Jesus said, you tight arms and cummings, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. There are weightier prayers you must learn to pray. And Apostle Paul said, when you got born again, I was praying for you not to get a visa to travel abroad. I was praying for you not for you to get a husband. I was praying for you so that you complete your house. No, he said, I'm praying for you so that you'll be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because that's where it starts from. You are saved. The greatest thing that will ever happen to a human being has happened to you. God's greatest gift has now been received by you. And if you are going to get the most out of this gift, I'm praying for you that you will grow. You will have wisdom and revelation. Because what has happened to you, with your natural eye, you can understand it. So you need a wisdom and revelation to fully grasp what has happened. That's what Paul is talking about here. Having the eyes of your understanding, heart being enlightened, that you may know. Somebody say no. When you mature in Christ, eh, your prayer is not give me, your prayer is show me. You want to know. You want to know. You want to know. You want to know. Hardly ever do you find in the New Testament letters, prayers about give me, give me, give me, give me. James talked about give me if any man lacks wisdom. But you won't lack wisdom when you become very conscious of the fact that Christ is in you and he's made unto you the wisdom and the power of God. When you see, you begin to think of yourself that Christ is in me. You become that Christ conscious. The in him and in me conscious. That prayer may not even be necessary. I'm not complicating here. He said, pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your understanding that you may know what is the hope. Somebody say the hope. Yeah, 
You have been called to a lively hope. Peter says you have been born again unto a lively hope, a great hope, an uncommon hope, a good hope. That is the kind of hope you've been called to. So you are not a miserable fellow. Are you with me here? You are not a hopeless person. You are not somebody who should be pitied. You are somebody who is highly prized. Am I communicating here? You have great hope. When he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans of good, not of evil. In Christ, that plan became a reality. Praise the Lord. God's good and great plan for your life became a reality in Christ. That's why in the book of Ephesians, he said that we will walk, we will live the life that he ordained for us to live, the good life. There's a good life for you in Christ. Can somebody say an amen? You can't really believe that there's a good life for you. Well, that's what it is. There's a good life for you if you are in Christ. There's a great future for you if you are in Christ. Are you with me here? He said, Christ in you, the hope of what? Yeah. So, there is a glorious future. Somebody say, I have a glorious future. My future is guaranteed. My future is bright. My future is secure. It's not a prayer point. It's a present reality. In Christ Jesus. Shout an amen. Having the eyes of the understanding being enlightened. And what? He said, that you may see the riches of his glorious inheritance and the sins. Let's continue. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ that which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He says you need to know immeasurable greatness of his power to you who have believed. Who are those who have believed? The Ephesians. They have believed. So he said, now that you have believed, I want you to know that there's a lot of power that was released to make your believing a reality, to make you a child of God indeed. Now follow this because it is going to transit into chapter 2, which we are going to be focusing on today. He says that you have to know this power because, you know, when Paul said that, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. When you understand that as Apostle Paul is presenting the logic, you will appreciate what he's talking about, the greatness of his power to us all who believe. He said, far above, when you are far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name, that is him, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And I put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in. All in. Are you reading? All in. Okay, so let's go to chapter 2. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Let's go together. One go. Following the cause of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sense of disobedience, among whom live in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of a body and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, rich in mercy, because of his great love, mm, you have been saved, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. In the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness to us. Wow. Let's go. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that it is a gift of God, not of works. For we are his created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, if you go to chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you who were dead in trespasses and sin. Did you see that? Uh-huh. So, the people who put the Bible together, callers, they actually gave you chapters so you can follow. If you are reading a book and it's not categorized into chapters, it can be very difficult to read. If you read big, big books, you see that when you read even if you have one chapter and it's a long chapter, it can be boring. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Now, so they did that so you can understand the thought pattern. But sometimes they did it and it also takes away 
the original intent. So it's always good that sometimes we confer with the original text, which is the Greek from which it was uh, translated. But you see, when you look at this book, it's a letter. When you write a letter, you don't divide it into chapters. It's a letter. And so he's reading. He says, the power, the greatness of his power to us, on which work in Christ, when he raised him from the dead. Then he says, all the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So he comes to verse 1 and he says, and you. So he's continuing. Are you following that? It's a continuation. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, has he quickened, has he made alive? You, you who were dead. So he talked about the greatness of his power that raised. You remember that? The greatness, the immeasurable greatness of his power to us what? Who believe? which was used to raise Christ from the dead. He says, you to the same power has been extended to you. How was the power extended to you? Because you were dead. Christ died and the Holy Spirit had to resurrect him. You too, you were dead in sins and you had to be made alive. Can somebody say an amen? amen? Now that's very, very important because that presents a very beautiful picture to us. The book of Ephesians, like I told you when we were introducing the book, for me it's my favorite book of scripture. There are other ones I like, but this one really cuts it for me. Ephesians is a very, very powerful book. It was not specifically written to address any specific problem. It was just written to give us a greater and a better revelation of our inheritance in Christ as believers. When you go to Galatia, it was written to deal with false people who were presenting the gospel in another sense. When you go to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul had a lot of issues to deal with. So he wrote it to solve problems. Titus and Timothy, he wrote it to address the young minister Timothy and Titus who were actually appointed to oversee the affairs of the church. But when it comes to the book of Ephesians, it is one book that all believers can connect with. Even Colossians. Colossians was uh, written to deal with also false doctrine because there were people who were presenting Christ, had not appeared in the flesh and all kinds of things. So most of his letters were written to deal with problems. But this one was designed to give us a light so we will know what we have in Christ and how we can live that life in Christ. It has several themes. When I talked about the church last year, I told you that one of the predominant themes of the book of Ephesians is the church. But if you read the book also closely, you realize that one of the predominant themes of the book of Ephesians is grace. Somebody say grace. Grace. Grace Grace is one important theme in the book of Ephesians. The word grace appears in the New King James, in the ESV, in the original King James Version, 12 times in the book of Ephesians. Almost every chapter in the book of Ephesians, except chapter 5, has something to say about grace. Grace all through. So if you are either speaking with words, seizing with grace, or you are doing something. So grace is a major theme. And last week, we talked about grace. And I told you that grace can only be defined in context. You cannot define grace. You cannot rubber stamp grace. And say grace means unmerited favor. You'll be frustrated if you approach life and say grace is unmerited favor. Because grace in scripture is not always unmerited favor. There are times where grace means God is enabling you. He's giving you the ability. He's giving you the power. He's giving you the willingness. He's giving you something you are lacking so you can be empowered and equipped to do something. So that's key. We see grace all through. And the book, like I said, has a lot to do with our salvation in Christ. Some Bible theologians actually believe that the Ephesians chapter 1 should have actually been chapter 2. And they have the case, and sometimes when upon my reflections and my meditation, sometimes I'm also tempted to think that eh, maybe it would have been a better presentation if he had done that. But Paul, for whatever reason, and the inspiration was not given to you and I. <laughs> As they say, you and I were not there. <laughs> so he was the one who received it, and the Holy Ghost, in his own wisdom, decided that it should flow in that manner. So in the book of Ephesians, Apostle Paul presents the good news first before he presents the bad news. He gives you the good news, the greatest news. And I think that uh, it's better. Don't you think it's better? Yeah, it's better. Sometimes when you are giving information, you want to hold on to the good news. The good news lasts and then the bad news so that you annul the effect of the good news. But Paul wants you to be happy before he now tells you how things were actually. So, In chapter 1, if you look at it closely, 
It tells us what grace has made for us. Somebody say, what grace has made for us? In other words, it shows us what grace has made us. All through chapter 1, the emphasis is on what grace, particularly from verse 1 to verse Verse 1 all the way to 13, it shows us what grace has made us. What has grace made us in the book of Ephesians? Grace has made us loved by God. Somebody say, God loves me. Grace elected us. Grace predestinated us. Grace chose us. Grace made us accepted by God. Grace saved us by God. Grace has made you accepted in the beloved. That is what grace has done for us. Please follow it closely. So when you meet Paul, he will give you nice pictures. So he shows you how beautiful you are. That is the kind of picture you see when you read the book of Ephesians chapter 1. It's a very beautiful picture. He calls you a saint. When you are still battling with maybe masturbation or something. He calls you a saint. When lying is a difficult challenge for you. He calls you a saint. He calls you one who is loved. When you feel that you have done something, God will reject you. Beautiful. Is that not beautiful? That's beautiful. He tells you you are accepted when you are at your lowest ebb in life and you feel that everybody has rejected you and the people who naturally like you don't even like you anymore. But God says you are accepted. That is a very beautiful picture. But when we come to chapter 2, he tells us who we were. All right? So chapter 1, who we have become. Chapter 2, who we were. Who were we? And that's where we see our serial state, the mess we were in, the bad state we were in. And look at the house before it was remodeled. You can see the house? This is the same house. Nothing has changed. It's the same house. If I took you there and I say, I dash you this house, you say, ah, pastor, ah, is that what you can do? I thought you'd give me something nice. This is your house. But you see, when it's made over, a remodel, as they say it in North America, you will see what those things will do. Okay? Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful house. When it's remodeled, it becomes nice. But in this state, and usually people buy properties in this state, when you see it, it looks very shabby. But the moment they finish it and remodel it, they sell it for several millions of dollars. Amen? Now, let's look at the lady that some of you have started lasting after. Yeah, the gentlemen who are single and were considering her. Will you still consider her? Yeah, please consider her. Consider her. And when you marry, you must understand that your wife will show you these two faces. There are times where you see her like this. There are times you see her like that. And you should be content in whatever situation you find yourself. Somebody say, I'm content. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So it's important. Very key. So this is the worst state and the first is the great state. You see, to understand salvation by grace, we first, 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 and foremost, we need to discover who we were before Christ. Who was I before Christ? You need to know it. Who were you before Christ? What was your state before Christ? That's very, very important. Because, you see, if you read chapter 2, verse 1, it says, and you who were dead, let's go to chapter 1, let me show you something. And you who were now, what does that statement mean? It means that now you're alive. Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. yeah, you were dead, but now you're alive. Yeah. Say, I'm alive in Christ. I'm alive in Christ. Say, I'm alive in Christ. I'm alive in Christ. The life of God is in me. The God. There is no death in me. No I have the life of God in me. Now, you see, you were dead. You were dead. So, you need to know this. You were dead. If you are saved, you were dead. If you are not saved, you are dead. Get these two things. If you are saved, you were dead. If you are not saved, you are dead. And we need to understand these two. We need to know it for ourselves, where we used to be, and for the people who are in that current state. There are people who are currently dead in terms of their relationship with God. You are alive. Others are dead. And as you study this book, one of the things that it also naturally should birth in you is compassion to see other people saved. Yeah. When you understand the gospel, it is very, very impossible, practically impossible to understand the gospel of Christ and not be passionate about soul winning. It's not. When we understand the gospel, unless, of course, sometimes we, we can understand it and still allow selfishness 
and the things and the cares of this life to kill compassion in us. But when we truly understand the gospel, now look at your state. You were dead, and some way, somehow, God worked things out. You are now alive. If somebody's at the point of death, if you don't think you should be more compassionate, you should be moved to see the person, particularly if you can help the person. The person just needs the last drop of something small to bring the person alive. Whatever you can do, you have to do it to help the person. That's why when we understand the gospel, once we become reconciled to God, the next thing we go after is reconciling others to God. And I pray that this beginning from this month and all through the year, you reconcile multitudes to God. In the mighty name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. So who were we before Christ? Who were we before Christ? Chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us the first thing that we need to appreciate. The first thing is that you were dead in trespasses and sin. Somebody say, we were dead. Say, I was dead. Okay, so the first thing that defines our state is the fact that we were dead. We were dead. We were dead. We were dead. You were dead. You were dead. You were dead. You were dead. A dead man can't think. A dead man has no values to live by. A dead man. In fact, a theologian went to class someday and teaching from the book of Ephesians, he asked the class, what can a dead man do? And the class went quiet. Everywhere was silent. <laughs> and he was watching them, waiting to hear what the response will be. Nobody could answer for a minute or two. Then one guy lifted his hand from the back. He said, stink. Then everybody started laughing. But truly, that's what, the only thing a dead man can do. If anybody dies around you and you decide to keep them around, it's only a matter of time. They will stink. And what was your state before Christ? You were stinking dead. You see, when we understand these things, when we say we are serving God now, we will know what it means to serve God. You can't be lazy and slothful and giving excuses left, right, center when it comes to service. When you know that when you were dead, he gave you life. When you understand that, you can't have a lot of excuses. You see, that's what I'm saying, that the concept of salvation, once we get it right, everything goes fine. One of the things I don't like is when we are motivated with a lot of material things to encourage people to serve. It's not godly. That's not Christianity. God blesses us out of his generosity and his kindness, but that's not the motivation for us to serve. The blessing he's given us is more than enough to motivate us to forever serve him with joy and with gladness. Can somebody say an amen? amen. Listen, even those who receive those material benefits usually are those who serve him with the right motive. They serve him because of what he's done. Any day, any time, I would rather choose someone to work with me who is grateful for working with me than somebody who thinks that I need a service. When somebody is grateful, what they do is different. When the woman with her alabaster box came, she came out of gratitude. And you saw what she did? She went over the bar. She went over. I mean, she was not giving tight. She gave everything that which she has saved over years. Sometimes I wonder. I have been thinking lately a lot about the church in the West and the church in Africa. And sometimes when I call some of my pastor friends and we are discussing it, sometimes I feel very sad. Because if the church in the West, they were to be like the church in Africa presently, I'm telling you, there is no way Africans would have been saved. I mean, somebody will leave Switzerland, a comfortable place, and come and live in the mountains of Kau to establish Basel Mission, but they understood that they were dead. They were made alive. Can you understand that? They were dead and they were made alive. Anything they would do in order to bring life to others, they would do it. When you understand this, you can't struggle with giving. You can't struggle with serving. You can't struggle with anything. That's why I want you to understand the subject. Because until you understand it, you will be doing better trading with God. And you will never get the best. It's transactional Christianity. He's done so much for you that you can't tell it all. Like the gentleman sang. And that moves you to serve. It moves you passionately to serve. That is a motivation for ourselves. It's not because of any material thing that we can get. I was on my way to hell. I was on drugs, messing my destiny up, and Christ found me. And now I'm saved. I mean, what is better than salvation? What is better? What is more valuable? Particularly when I can see some of my mates were in the same drug business, and today, some of them are lunatics on the street. Listen, and let me tell you, no matter who you think you are, some of you were born into fine homes, in quotes. So you were raised, you were born in church and you think that you're a Christian. No, you are equally dead. Every man without Christ is dead. 
If you understand what I'm saying. Everybody born by a woman is born dead. The only person who was born alive is Christ. Every man, the Bible said, in sin did my mother conceive me. And if you are conceiving sin, you are dead on arrival. Every human being born on the planet is VOD, dead on arrival. That's your status. It doesn't matter. Oh, as for me, I, I wasn't into very bad things. I didn't do a lot of sin. I didn't fornicate. I didn't do all of those things. Listen, you are dead. The same power that resurrected the one who was a fornicator, an adulterer, is the same power that raised you also from the dead. Am I communicating here? That's why there's no sense of superiority when it comes to the gospel. And that is why all of us, the rich, the poor, the chief sinner, and the less sinful, we are all saved by nothing but grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? The commonality of grace is because of the commonality of sin. All of us were born in sin. All of us were born dead. If anybody had been saved by anything else, then you could boast. He said, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. I just ask you, if someone is dead, what can that person offer? When the Bible says you are saved by grace, think about that. That is the principle. There are a few things we talk about. But the key thing that you should take home with you, and all through this series, you must never forget, is the fact that you were dead. Stop acting like you can save yourself. Because a dead man can offer nothing except bad order to the atmosphere. That's all. That's why all our works without Christ are dead works. All our works without Christ are dead works. So please understand this. When you meet somebody who is very generous, he say he's philanthropist, he does a lot of kind works. It could be your family, it could be your friend, and you allow those things to deceive you that that such a person is saved. Please, 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 that's not gospel. He's on his way to hell if he's not born again. If he doesn't place his faith in Christ, regardless of his good deeds, nobody enters heaven with good deeds. The righteous, the one who is saved does not enter with good deeds. The one who is not saved does not enter with good deeds. Everybody enters heaven through Christ. When you enter Christ, heaven gate is open to you because he's the way, the truth, and the life. But the moment you want to come by your own self, you are disqualified already. You remember the story Jesus gave about the Pharisee praying and then the tax collector. The one who came by himself, he felt that he was qualified. He was disqualified. The one who came asking for mercy, that's it. And mercy is acknowledging that you are deserving of wrath and that the one who is supposed to pass judgment should set aside the wrath and give you something else. Am I communicating here? Please, let's understand this. Let's not assume that because my boss is a kind person, he is saved. He's not saved. My mother is a very good person. He's saved. Some of us are in church. We don't preach even to our own families. We don't gospel our families because we think that, oh, the way they are, the way they are kind, listen, kindness don't take people to heaven. It takes them to hell. He's a kind person, a dead kind person going to hell. No matter who you are, that is gospel. That is Bible. He said you were dead before Christ. You were dead. Dead simply means that you are lifeless. What can a lifeless person do? Lifeless. Dead means that you are incapable. You are incapable of pleasing God. You are incapable of doing anything meaningful. Dead means that you are simply unable to offer any help. You can't offer any help. Romans 5 says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for our... Please read that with me. And died for our... When we were what? Utterly helpless. Do you understand what that means? Utterly helpless. That's when Christ came. So you were dead. That's why you are helpless. A dead person. You pick their hand like this. You pick their hand like this. Once it falls twice by itself, the pulse is not shown. You pick it, it goes. You pick it, it goes. Confirm death. He can't do anything. He can't do anything. And the Bible said that is the state we were in. Utterly helpless. You are powerless as a dead person. You are weak as a dead person. And then you are corrupt. That's what you think. So dead people are all dead. All right? Death in scripture means separation. When we talk about death in scripture, it means separation. Before Christ, we were dead. What it means is that we were separated from God. So don't take your mind too far. We are talking about separation from God here. There are three kinds of death in the scriptures. Three kinds of death. The first one is spiritual death. The first kind of death is spiritual death, which means separation from God because of sin. Separation from God because of sin. All of these things are designed to also equip you to be effective evangelists. You know, the Bible said, do the work of an evangelist. 
You are a minister of reconciliation. And sometimes when you are trying to solve a problem, you see that the people involved, they will be presenting their cases. This one will say, oh, but this is my case. They will be presenting, oh, me, I'll go to church, so I think I'm fine. I pay tight, so I think I'm fine. Then you have to draw the attention to some of these things. That is not about those things. It's about where is your faith? Is it in Christ or is it in your works, which are already dead on arrival? Death means separation from God because of sin. Look at this. He said, you were dead in trespasses and what? How were we dead? In trespasses and sins. That's the environment we lived in. We live in a habitat of sin. And in that habitat, we were dead. In the book of Isaiah, he said, For the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear are not heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Your iniquities, verse 2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from God and have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. So that's it. It is spiritual death that set the stage for physical death. If man had not sinned, man would never have had to die. But when man sinned, then it became necessary. Because if man was to live eternally, then there was no way out. So God decided that man must die at some point. So that the consequences of the sin that man has caused, because sin set the state for death, it set the state for sickness, it set the state for all kinds of things. Now imagine that you are sick, God forbid, of cancer, and you can die. And the pain is such a normal. Can you imagine? That would be a very sore state to be in. And so God allowed death to happen so that other things can continue. Praise the Lord. So death brings separation between man and God. When Adam sinned, he became separated from God. When God asked him, we are never told God asking Adam, where are you? Until Adam sinned, you remember? When Adam sinned, God came and said, where are you? Because there was separation. When you ask, where are you? It means that you are looking for somebody, you can't find him. And that's simply what was happening. There was separation. Adam became spiritually separated from God. As long as Adam did not know sin, he never knew death. Praise the Lord. So there are three kinds of death. The first one is spiritual death. The second one is physical death. The separation of the soul and the spirit from the body. Where your spirit is separated from your soul and your body. We say you are gone. James chapter 2, verse 26, For as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So when your spirit leaves your body, we say you are dead. When your soul departs, we say you are dead. Luke chapter 12, verse 20, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That was talking about the rich fool. In the book of Ecclesiastes 12, 7, he said, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. That is physical death. When we say somebody has died, that is what has happened. If he is born again, and that is why Paul was speaking in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and he was telling us that, listen, when somebody dies as a believer, you should not be worrying and crying too much. It's painful, and you have to sow. But don't sorrow as if, it's a hopeless case because this one is only sleeping. And a short time will come where he will resurrect again. I'm not communicating somebody here. So those of us who have lost people, valuable people, fathers, mothers, please be assured if they were. That, and that's what I'm saying that our focus should make sure that while people are alive, we secure their eternity. Because you can do a very elaborate funeral for people. There's a, a movie that mommy was pointing to me the last time. They say, my perfect funeral or something. You can do perfect or excellent funeral. <laughs> when you are dead, you are dead. But if you are not born again, you will even annoy Satan with your perfect funeral. Because if you go to Isaiah, he says when you die and you are not born again, all the entities of Hades, they welcome you and they say, hey, are you as hopeless like us? That's how they welcome you in Isaiah. He said, are you as hopeless as us? So physical death, the soul is gone, the spirit is gone, but the body decomposes. And then we have eternal death or the second death. And this is the most dangerous of all death. The most dangerous of all death. This is eternal death. In the book of Revelation 20 verse 11, he says, that is the separation of the soul eternally from God. Then I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. I saw the dead. I saw what? 
small and what? Rich and poor, intellectual and illiterate. I saw the dead. He said, standing before God, and books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, but the things which were written in the books. Now, the book of life is not the book for the Christian. It's for those who are not born again. The book of life is for anybody who has not placed his faith in Christ. That is where the book of life is going to. Of course, if you are a Christian, your name is already there, so it's not a matter of. But the books that will be open for the believer is the book of works. When you are born again, that is why the believer cannot go to hell. Are you with me here? I've told you that repeatedly. Jesus went to hell for the believer. So when you put your faith in Christ, it's credited that you have already gone to hell and back. And so the hell is not your destiny. What we are going, looking forward to is eternal reward. And that's why when we get born again, the greatest thing we should invest our lives in is serving God and serving his church. Because that's where our reward is going to be. When the Bible talks about gnashing of teeth in eternity, it has to do with people who will see what difference they could have made in their life on earth, and yet they didn't do it. You see, a missed opportunity can really bring tears to you. Do you know that? When you look at a great opportunity, I was listening to a very renowned man of God in this nation some time back, and he was given an account of many years ago when he had a privilege of buying a landed property or some parcels, huge, significant parcels of land in East Legon area. They took him there to survey. He looked at a place there. What you use is this bush. Who wants to live in this bush? He had an opportunity, and he had the capacity at the time to buy hundreds of acres of East Legon land. He said every time he drives around that area, then he has actually changed his course. Now, there's a new road they have made, which is helping him. But every time he drove along that area, he felt what a missed opportunity. And can you imagine that? You get to heaven and you see souls in hell whom you could have saved. You see people whom your sacrificial giving could have made a difference in their lives. And yet all of these opportunities were abandoned. You see churches that could have been built with your resources, but because of selfishness and greed, you held on to it. When you look at that, you cannot do anything but cry. After heaven, you are there, but you are not there with joy and satisfaction. Why? Because of missed opportunities. That's why our works matter. Our works really, really matter. You see, your works are useless before salvation, but your works are great of great use when you become saved. You are not saved by your works, but you are saved for works. Are you with me here? He said, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. In other words, anybody who has died through a shipwreck or whatever, like the Malaysia airline that got missing and we've not found it, all of those people, they will appear. <laughs> they will appear wherever they are. The people that have been swallowed up in the sea, the sea will give them up. He said, and death and Hades delivered up. You see, even death is bringing them. It's enough. Wake up. Death will raise them up. As the Bible says. And those people, they were judged, each one according to his works. Then the Bible said, and after that, death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. You see, if you are born once, you will die twice. But if you are born twice, you die once. If you are born once by your mother and your father, you die twice. But if you are born twice by your mother and your father and by the spirit, you die once. Spiritual death. We were dead in what? Trespasses and what? We were dead in what? All right. So when we talk about spiritual death, this is what spiritual death is. When a person is alive physically, but dead spiritually. And that's why we call spiritual death. When a person is alive physically. Because there are a lot of people who are alive physically, but they are spiritually dead. That's why Adam lived on. 900 and something years after God pronounced it. He died spiritually, but physically he was very active. In fact, he lived much longer than the age at which most of us are living now. After this, the first man sinned, and sin has been increasing in tempo since then. So the days of man has also been dwindling <laughs> since then. But that's it. He lived 900, almost 1,000 years. But he was spiritually dead. So, spiritual death is when you are persons alive physically, but dead spiritually. Spiritual death is as a result of sin. Somebody say, as a result of sin. Say, as a result of sin. Yeah. Genesis 2, 15 to 17. He says, and the Lord put him, he said, you should not eat, but the day you eat of it, you will surely, 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 surely die. And Abraham did not die until we are told in Genesis chapter 5, Verse 5, that's all the days that Adam lived 
were 930 years, and he died. Genesis 5, 5. All the days, that's all the days Adam lived were 930 years, and he, and he, so when God told him the day, you remember, he said the day you eat, he didn't die that day. So that was not physical day he was talking about. Physical day took place 930 years. But he had died the very day he went of God. How did we become participants of Adam's death? When we were all born in Adam. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12 to 22. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of what? For us in Adam all for us in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. So Adam sinned and we all became participants of his death. You see, the concept of Adam sinning and we becoming sinners is the same concept that is translated to we becoming righteous because Jesus did not sin. When you say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, you are not saying I have done right things all the time because none of us does. Praise the Lord. But you are saying that the righteousness of Christ Jesus has been credited to my account. And that is how we fight the devil. That's how we overcome the devil. That's how we live a victorious life. We live a victorious life not because of the things we do right, but because Christ has done right, which has been credited to our account. It doesn't mean that we don't have to do right. No, we do right. But the motivation for doing right is because, it's because Christ is at work in us for he's in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Am I communicating here? That's key. A lot of us sometimes when you, a certain attack comes your way, you are looking for the sin you have committed. Satan brings all of those sins. No. God does not relate to you on that basis. Are you with me here? And as we go on, you will be able to appreciate these truths and appreciate them well. Lift up your hands and give God praise and thank him for the gift of salvation. Pastor Afuakwa has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. Share your testimonies with us on 020-422-5790 or email us at embassyoflifechapel at gmail.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afuakwa on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at www.embassyoflife.org. Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our service at our headquarter church from 8.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. for our good news service. And on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Our church auditorium is located on the top floor of Nanama Ejakuma Plaza opposite the Unity Oil Station, Santasa Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. Alternatively, you can join us online for our services on Embassy of Life Chapel, Facebook or YouTube pages. God richly bless you. Oh, no.